Thank you, Melissa and worship team, for uh, just setting that platform for us to enter into the presence of God and to give Him praise and glory and then hear the words that He has for us today. I've got a very special surprise for you. I didn't want to tell you ahead of time because I just wanted to surprise you with it. Today we have a special speaker. Don't clap. Not, don't clap. <laughs> that'll be offense. That'll hurt me. So I don't want. Don't do that. So. Uh, but anyhow, um, we've got a special speaker, and he's not just a special speaker, but uh, he's the leader of our denomination that we're affiliated with. Uh, if you have uh, been through our partner classes or have been with the church for, for a while now, uh, you know that we belong to a denomination called the United Brethren in Christ. And so this morning, we have a special guest. Uh, he's our leader of our denomination, Phil Whipple. If you would go ahead and come up and uh, I, just give him a warm round of applause. So. I'll let you share a little bit more uh, your, some of your duties or whatever and uh, just kind of let them get acquainted with you. But uh, it's just a special honor. He likes to go around and visit all of our churches. And so today we have the privilege of having you with us. And so I know you guys will really lean into the message that he has for us, that God has for us through him. And so uh, with nothing further, it's all yours. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the welcome. Um, yeah, I get this... Um, I know that I'm a, a, a strange face to many of you. I've, so I, let me tell you just a little bit about who I am, uh, aside from being the leader of the United Brethren Church, because even that, you probably wonder, what in the world do I do? Um, sometimes I wonder that too, but I am, uh, first and foremost, the things that you should know about me, I'm a son. That's probably evident that I, I had parents. Uh, I was born in Indiana, raised in north central Illinois, a farm kid, and then in the, my pastoral ministry has all been in Michigan. I uh, came up to Michigan in 1984 and joined the United Brethren Church in 1990 and have been serving it at several different locations uh, down through the years. I'm also married, uh, brought my wife along here uh, to make sure she travels with me most of the time, and uh, we've been married for 35, going on 36 years now. And uh, I always look at her when I say that just to make sure that I've got the right number <laughs> in mind, but I, um, I'm fairly consistent with that. Um, I'm also a dad. We have two sons uh, who are both married and both uh, are in the ministry, which is uh, just a, a huge thrill to me. As a matter of fact, they both are back at the last church I pastored up in Michigan. When I left, they hired two Whipples to replace me. <laughs> not really, they're not the lead pastor there, but one's a youth and worship pastor and one does as an associate pastor there. And uh, so when we go home, we really go home. We see the whole church family and we see our two sons and what God is doing there at the Callwood Church. Um, then, and I've already sort of mentioned the fact that I, I'm a pastor at heart. That's clearly the calling that I, that I got from God back when I was 17 years old. And I've been in full-time ministry since 84, uh, serving the Lord. And now I've been elected, this will be five and a half years or so that I've been in this role of that is called Bishop in the United Brethren Church. That's been the title that's been on the position as the leader of the denomination uh, down through its history. 
I had a sort of an interesting uh, connection to this whole word bishop. I was, we had a new neighbor that moved in across the subdivision from our house, and uh, she was out in her yard, and I went over to greet her to just make acquaintance, and, and after talking a few minutes, um, I told her that, well, um, my wife wasn't home right then, but hopefully she would be able to meet my wife soon, and she got this puzzled look on her face, because she had heard from our other neighbors that a bishop lived across the street from her. And she's thinking, bishops don't get married. I said, no, I'm not one of those bishops. I, I'm not a Catholic bishop. Don't wear pointy hats. Don't wear robes. Uh, but seek to try to advance the church of the United Brethren in Christ. We're very involved in pastoral placements, so we're engaged with that. Uh, in fact, that would have been the last time I was here at your church, was involved in that whole process. And um, we're also very engaged with church multiplication, with global ministries, and in the work of, of the global church and a variety of other functions. Certainly our schedule stays very full, very busy, as we seek to, to lead the Church of the United Brethren in Christ in the USA. I'm over the United States Conference, and it's a pretty good size. Um, the last thing you need to know about me, my most enjoyable role, is the fact that I'm a grandpa as well. Uh, our oldest son has three children, and so we have two granddaughters and a grandson. And uh, we don't see him as much as we like, but we did get to see him on Monday briefly, so this has been a good week. Uh, we've been in Michigan all week, and we'll head back to Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana is where we live. I really, though, didn't come to talk to you about me. I came to talk to you about his word and, and a message that uh, I've entitled Whispers. In, um, in Acts chapter 20, a long, long time ago, these verses, matter of fact, I can, almost rem I can remember where I was when I first read these. I was at Bible college at 17. I was reading through the New, in New Testament survey class, and I ran across these words, and they just, you know how it is. Some, some particular passages or verses just sort of drilled down in. And these words drilled into my soul. And there, there were words of Paul as he's talking to the leaders at the church at Ephesus. He's telling them that he's going to go to Jerusalem, and they're concerned for safety. And then we hear what Paul has to say. But verse 22 is where we'll begin. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, and this was the verse that grabbed me, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, as we break down these verses today, just let me make one overarching statement. When we read these words, oftentimes we read it from the standpoint of, yes, this was the Apostle Paul. This was sort of this guy that we elevate in, in our reading of Scripture. We put him in a pretty high spot. You know, there was Jesus, who's the Son of God, and He clearly is the, is the hero of the, of the story of the Scriptures, and should be. 
But we put Paul pretty high up there. We tend to put him a bit on a pedestal. And yet the fact of this challenge to us is that he... He, he was engaged in one task, and I think the task that he's engaged in is a task for every person that's here. It's the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Because we are all living examples of God's grace. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, it's only by His grace you've been saved. You testify to that by your very life. And so we need to understand the challenge that comes from Paul to us is not merely because he's this sort of super Christian, but rather to each of us in our spiritual journey that we should live out a faith and testify to this great gospel in the manner in which we live and the words that we say that would bring glory and honor to the name of our Savior. The first thing that I want to talk to you about from this as we break these verses down is the idea of what I would call the whispers of God. When God comes and speaks into our spirit, speaks into our heart, and gives direction, gives uh, us a, a focus as to what we should do, Paul said it this way, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. He's saying this in the context of a group of, or in, the, in this scenario where he's got this group of, of leaders, godly men, who are saying, don't go. It just doesn't seem like a wise move. It doesn't seem like it's a safe move. So don't go. And he says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. As you read the, and look at the language that's used there in the original language, it, it, it sort of means that he was hemmed in on every side. He had no other alternative if he was going to be faithful to the calling of God in his life. He was compelled, pushed, prodded by the Spirit that he should go to Jerusalem. They were looking at outside circumstances. He was being compelled by an inside push of the Spirit in the course of his life. I believe that we still live in a day and time when our God wants to speak to the hearts of his people. Do we believe that today? He still wants to whisper into our hearts. Now, please understand... Every dream that you have in the morning does not, or that when you awake does not mean that that was from God. Every time a wandering thought comes through your mind does not necessarily mean it was from God. So we have to learn to discern and we have to learn the voice of the Spirit as He speaks to us. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So we have to be in tune to the voice of God. But when we are, He wants to give us mid-course adjustments and corrections that lead us in His path. Now, let me just... I don't have time to go into all of the ways that we discern the difference between all of the wandering voices that can come. But let me just say this, that the voice of God will never contradict His Word. So He will never tell you to do something that His Word has already told us clearly that it's wrong. I've had people come to me and say, well, I think that I'm supposed to uh, leave my wife and marry this other lady. Uh-uh. God's Word says no, so it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty definitive. And so we know that we, it has to connect to the, what the Scripture teaches. 
But when it does, then we need to still try the Spirit, make sure that it's God's direction, God's voice. But then we need to be willing to lean into that. I remember of another prompting story that comes to us from earlier in Paul's life. Matter of fact, right after his, his conversion moment on the road to Damascus. Remember, he goes into Damascus and he stays there and then God comes to another man by the name of Ananias. And he speaks to Ananias and he says, I want you to go and I want you to pray for this man, Saul. At that time he was called. And I want you to tell him all he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias says, now wait a second, Lord, don't you know that this is the man that's been breathing out threats? He's been putting Christians in prison. Do you really want me to go? And he says, yes, because he's a chosen vessel of mine to reach the Gentiles. And Ananias then follows that prompting which was in alignment with his word. It wasn't contradicting God's word at all. But he goes then with the confidence to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Because the prompting moments of God oftentimes challenge us, but there's still the right direction to go. We need to learn to listen. We live in a noisy day. We live in a society where we are bombarded with sounds all the time. Matter of fact, even those of us who are believers, who walk with Jesus, we're bombarded even if we try to just stay with good stuff. We're still bombarded. I mean, I left my cell phone in my car, but I usually have it any other time with me except when I'm going to go preach. And I get vibrations all the time of something coming in, someone that's contacting, uh, another tweet from someone or another email from someone or a phone call from someone. We all live in that kind of world and it seems to me that because of the noise of our world, we're quickly forgetting how to listen to a still small voice. When the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Quieting our hearts, learning to disconnect, to unplug long enough so we can actually hear the voice of God in the course of our lives. I checked into the hotel we spent the night in last night. And uh, as the lady's trying to get uh, logged in so she could finish the check-in, she said uh, she, it wasn't accepting her password. And she said, I don't know what to do because I can't function without. If this doesn't work, I don't know what... There, we don't have procedures in place for... And then we talked just a little bit about what it used to be like versus what it's like today. You know, we're never disconnected. You know, when you used to travel, when you left, when you got in your car, you were pretty much out of contact till you arrived at your destination. Now you're always connected. Now please understand, I'm not, I'm not trying to rain on that parade. I, I like the fact that I can be connected. But I also know that I have to make effort, I have to take time to disconnect intentionally. Or it'll just never happen. And if it never happens, I never get back in the tune of hearing the voice of God 
in the course of our lives. Whispers of God. He wants to have that connecting relationship with His people in these days. So I just encourage you to learn to listen to Him. The second part of this uh, this verse breaks down the idea that this is a faith journey that we're on. We're moving. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul doesn't try to correct the Ephesus elders he, because God hadn't told him what's going to happen when he gets there. One of the things I found in, in my life journey is that, that God is very good at t- telling the next step. He's not very good about telling me the whole picture. He doesn't tell us what's going to be around the curve. He just says, take this curve or this exit. Get off here, but doesn't tell me exactly what's going to happen when I get there. And it's because this is a faith journey, not going by sight. It's not going by what I can already figure out. Because if I can have it all figured out, then it sort of puts God in the background. But if he just tells me the next step, then it puts God in the leadership role that he wants to be in the course and journey of my life and your life as we journey onward with him. He tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I I don't know if you've ever thought about it from this context, but go to any of the Old Testament stories. The story of David fighting Goliath. And while you might not be excited about the end of the story when he cuts off Goliath's head, but a lot of that story would be really fun to be a part of if you knew the outcome was going to be the kind of outcome that happened. Or which of us would not sign up to be one of those three Hebrew young men who stood in front of Nebuchadnezzar and said, King, we understood your challenge the first time and we will not bow down to your idol." And, and then they end up in the fiery furnace and they walk around and they, he looks in and says, didn't we throw three men in? I see four and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Well, which one of us would not have signed up to walk in be one be a fifth person in that scenario if we knew the outcome? If we knew that we were going to walk out and there would be no burns, no smoke, Nothing, no evidence that we'd even been in a fire, but we'd been in the presence of the Son of God. I think we'd sign up. But I don't think we'd have a lot of takers to say, well, I'll be the fourth in that group that stands up and does not know what the outcome is. Because we kind of like to know the outcome. We just like, kind of like to have the safety net already there in place. But they said, you know, we know our God is able to protect us, but we don't know if He's going to. He hasn't clued us in. He hasn't told us. He didn't say, you know, if you will be faithful to me in this moment, I'll protect you. And sometimes God has done that, but sometimes He doesn't. But He's looking for people who by faith will trust Him and rely upon Him for for all that we have need of. I kind of think we live in a in a softer day in Christianity where we tend to say, you know, as long as I know what the outcome is going to be, can you make sure the end is going to be all right, and then I'll sign up to do it. And that's not the call of the Gospel. 
It's not the call of Christ to be a fully devoted follower of His. To be a true disciple means to say, Lord, whatever the outcome, I'm walking with You. I'm trusting You. I'm relying upon You. When I pastored at the Colwood Church up in Carroll, Michigan, we would send mission teams out as you folks do, and, and we would always have a commissioning service. We'd bring everybody up front. We'd pray over them. And, and, and I used to pray for our mission teams, short-term teams, that they, God would keep them safe. And that was the main focus of my prayer. And quite frankly, there's no pastor that wants to send a team out to anywhere in the country that he doesn't want them to come back safe. But I began to be challenged in my heart is that, that that was a wrong prayer to pray. Or at least a wrong prayer to be the target of the prayer. Because what was beginning to challenge my spirit was, do you want them to be used or do you want them safe? And if you have a choice between the two, which is more important? And so we began to talk to our teams as we would select the team and as we'd bring them along is that, okay, we want people who want to be used. We're going to pray that God will keep you safe, but that's going to be the secondary prayer. The main focus is that God will use you in significant ways while you're, while you're gone to bring glory and honor to Him. It might seem like a very small thing, but to me, it was, it was a change in thinking that really brought me to an understanding, again, that it's a faith journey that they're on. It's not about just safety. God is not... See, God has, has no problem of keeping any one of us safe at anything that He wants us to do. When He told Paul that someday He was going to be a witness for him in Rome... Paul sort of walks forward through the events of his life which was anything but safe with this understanding that nothing's going to kill me because God has told me that someday I'm going to witness in Rome. So he's stoned. He's left for dead. He's, he's, I mean, his, his path was not an easy path. But God protected him, kept him safe, got him to Rome. Eventually. Because God is faithful to what His Word says all the time. A faith journey. That's what all of us are on. May God help us to understand that and take the, the leap into that unknown of saying, Lord, I just want to trust You with the details of my life. Which brings me to the third thing that strikes me out of this. And that is the fact that it will not be easy to live in a faith journey with the Savior. We've already talked about some of that, but let me, let me look at it from another angle. For Paul, he is there in, in community with these leaders at Ephesus. He's been there for about three years. It's been a significant kind of uh, blessing to him. These people have truly have been, you know, they... When this whole church at Ephesus begins, they had been baptized into a baptism of repentance at John's baptism. They find out about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit in the beginning. And they're just a, an alive and, a, and a, a church that's on fire. They're awake, making an impact and a difference for the cause of the gospel. 
But here he's talking to men who are telling him, don't do what God's told you to do. And that's hard. That's a resistance that's difficult to go in, go up against. When, especially when you, you have high regard for each other. You, you, you are supportive of each other. I believe resistance comes when we seek to walk by faith. Resistance comes from outside forces. But sometimes resistance comes from people that are very close to us who are not trying to be... They're not trying to cause a problem. The leaders at Ephesus were not trying to get Paul to disobey the voice of the Spirit. They were just looking at the wrong target. They were looking at just external circumstances and said, this doesn't look good. But one thing that I think also speaks to me out of this is that God, when He tells us, when He gives us clear direction in the course of our life, he is not obligated to tell everybody that we know that support what they're doing. Now, I do believe there's one, uh, one communication that will always happen, and is that if you're married, God will not tell you as a, as a husband or as a wife, He will not tell you something He won't tell your spouse because He will not lead you into a path of division. Because that would be contrary to his word. It tells us when we get married, the two shall become one. And so I believe that what God would reveal to me, he is obligated to reveal to my wife so we can walk in harmony and in unity together. But he doesn't have to tell the rest of my family. He doesn't have to tell uh, the church body that I was a part of before. We, can, we just have to learn to walk with him, that he's our God. And that we recognize that resistance comes in many different kinds of ways in the course of our life. Now I would say, if, if you have a friend that comes to you and, and they tell you they believe that God has told them to do something that seems a little bit out there, I don't think it's wrong to ask some questions. But then at the end of the day, I think you need to pray, tell them that you will pray that God will make it very clear if it's His plan that you'll support it. But make sure that it's God's plan, that it's not just you, you, you had a dream and you thought this would be a really cool thing. God's not really so much interested in cool. He's interested in holy. He's interested in a path that takes His message and His name forward. He's, he's really interested in those kinds of things. But it will not be an easy path as we walk onward and journey onward with Him. Which brings me to the, to the last thing that strikes me from this passage, and that is the idea of clarity for the next step. He doesn't promise the whole path. I've already mentioned that. But this verse is such a, a challenging verse for, most of, for many of us anyway. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And what is that task? To testify to the gospel of God's grace. And that's why I think this message is for us all. Because that's your job, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. God has given different ones of us different platforms to, to testify from. But he's always challenged all of us to testify of it, of God's grace. 
the transformation that occurs in a life when we listen to His voice and we follow after Him. I want to take us on a real quick journey of what transpires after this passage of Scripture. Paul does exactly what he had told them he was going to do. He heads on and he goes to Jerusalem. What's going to happen to him in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem is the exact thing that his Ephesus elders said was going to happen. He was taken prisoner. He's put into prison. He testifies before several different leaders, Agrippa and, and Festus during the Felix during those times, and, and then ends up being put on a ship, and he heads off because he appeals to Rome. He goes to Rome. On his way there, he's uh, shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea, ends up on an island, uh, there on the island, there's a fire, bonfire to try to dry everything up. And a snake comes out of the fire, latches onto his hand. They look at him and, and the people from the island say, this man must be a devil because the sea doesn't kill him and then a snake's going to kill him. And then he shakes the snake off into the fire and nothing happens to Paul. And then they look at him and they say, this guy must be a god because nothing can kill him. It's interesting how fast you can move from devil to God. But then he spends some time there on the island. He preaches the gospel. Lives are touched and transformed. Then he ends up on another ship and goes to Rome and spends the rest of his ministry life, most of it, at least what we're aware of, would be in either house arrest or prison. Now, I've been a part of a lot of strategic planning teams and if a mission board was gathering together and saying how are we going to use our best missionary for this last phase of life he's been on three significant trips he's done he's planted a number of churches i don't think there's any mission strategy team that say well let's send him off to rome so he can be put in prison and so you would scratch your head and say, is this a good plan? But I think God had a master plan because the fact is that the three missionary journeys that Paul was on, and he planted a number of churches in Asia Minor and a variety of places, but those churches no longer are in existence. I had the opportunity to travel to, to Turkey and, and saw six out of the seven churches that are mentioned in, in the book of Revelation and I've been to Ephesus, and there, Ephesus is amazing ruins to look at, but there's no church there. None of those churches exist. But what did God do for the church? He put Paul in a position where he had, couldn't be active, so he started writing. And he wrote the prison epistles from Rome. And our scripture has those letters in it that have blessed the church for the last 2,000 years. Does God know what He's doing? Absolutely. He says, I'm going to put you on the shelf for a little bit so you have more time to write some significant letters. The book of Ephesians has blessed the church for years because of the instruction that comes to us out of that. Because God said, okay, I need to, I need to slow you down a little bit so you can do something that will have lost much longer staying power than the building of a building or a ministry that begins for a while and might not last forever. Clarity for the next step. God knows 
what the next steps are for the course and, and journey of your life as well. I want to wrap up this, this talk this morning by sharing uh, some words from a prayer that have really uh, touched my heart and uh, I trust yours as well. It goes like this. Disturb us, Lord, when we're too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. A few years ago, I had the opportunity our Every summer we have a, what's, uh, a youth pastor summit down in Daytona Beach, Florida. And since I've been in this position, I go down and uh, take them all out to eat one night. They seem to appreciate that and just connect with our youth guys. One day I went out on a fishing boat with them. I'm not a fisherman. Uh, my luck in fishing is very poor. But I didn't go for that purpose anyway. I went to be with the young guys there, about 15 of us on the boat, on this charter, and it was a choppy day, it was an overcast kind of day, and so we get out in the water, out in the ocean, and you begin to, to realize just how big this ocean is, when you get far enough away from land so you can't see the shoreline. And it was in those moments that I had this thought, I'm really glad we have a captain on board. Because right now, if you would come to me and say, you know, it's your job to get us back, it would have been totally guesswork. And in that context, you don't want someone guessing. Because there, there are a lot of directions you can go that would take a really, really, really long time to get to land. And there's one direction you can go that will get you back in the time allotted. And he got us right back to the same dock. He knew what he was doing, and I'm thankful for that. But I was thinking of it from a context of, of if you would look at the waters of the ocean as the grace of our God, I think a lot of us play around in the shoreline. We play around in the shoreline. Maybe we let the, the waters of the ocean lap up on our ankles or maybe to our knees but we stay rooted in that which is convenient and safe and familiar. We stand where we know that we're, going to, we're not going to be in trouble. It'll be all right. Because when you get out far enough, bad things can happen. Because you lose control. And all of a sudden, the power of the ocean can mess with you. And it can. And I'm not advocating you to go out in the deeps of the ocean. But I am advocating, leave the shoreline of God's grace and dive into God to a point that you trust Him with everything. Our God is trustworthy. We come to church on Sunday and we believe that. Why is it that so many times we live our life like it's not true? We work in a realm of that which we can figure it all out. We walk not by faith, but by sight. Okay, I know how that's going to happen. I know how that's going to come together. So therefore, I will do it. All the pieces match. Disturb us, Lord. 
when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we sail too close to the shore. I just encourage you to be a church that sails far enough away into the ocean of God's grace that you can impact a community with the message of the gospel in a way that brings glory to his name. And they say, and you also can say it had to be God. We're, we're, we weren't good enough, we weren't smart enough, we couldn't figure it all out, but God stepped in and showed his strong, mighty arm of power and strength in us to accomplish that which we could not have done by ourselves. Savior, today with thanksgiving in our hearts, we come to you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you today, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that it would ever energize our hearts, it would challenge our spirit, that we might walk with you, that we might be a people, Lord, that, that trust you fully, that rely upon you for hope and help and strength in this hour. We thank you for this scripture and for the simple truth that Paul gives to us. Help us to walk in that path, to be challenged by it. Bless this church. Use them to bring glory to your name. And as you give us strength, we'll continue to praise your name. We ask it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.